0: Most of you know that is my son, Michael. Uh, We're really excited for him. He's going to a church that is so much like Grace Community Church. You cannot believe it. The only difference is they have about 700 more people on Sunday than we do here. And also, uh, um, Ben and Liz Price, uh, my daughter and son-in-law, are here as well this morning. Ben is the youth pastor and associate pastor, really, at at Mount Calvary Baptist Church in Banner Elk, where we attended our last year and a half when we were in the mountains, and so we've got you covered if you go to the high country. You go snow skiing or just Tweetsie Railroad or whatever. You you can go to either one of those uh, churches, and you will be greatly blessed. I I know. So uh, we are excited for Michael, and that will free up a little bit of uh, our missions money and missions committee. We're talking about that with the uh, the elders and so we're looking forward to seeing what God's going to do through our missionary outreach with that in the in the near future. Um, David did an excellent job telling you about all the stuff that's going on with college ministry. There's one thing he failed to mention and that is on the last Sunday of this month which is what the 26th I think is that, is that correct. We have a potluck and that is the day maybe with the exception of early January when we have more college students than any other time, we could have as many as 100 or so college students on that day who will be very, very hungry. And, uh, I mean, some of the football players walk with plates that are like that, you know, they're, and Scott Colbrath does too, so we, we need <laughs> you to... Prepare a lot of food, two to three times as much as you normally would on that Sunday. So even now, be thinking about it. Students will come, but they will only bring ramen noodles, so it's, that's no good. So, that's one last thing. A lot of opportunities for college ministry, and, and, and it's not college ministry. That's what Michael's going to be doing, by the way. It is ministry ministry. To students and it's ministry to people and, and 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 when students leave college, if all they've known is campus ministries and just a just a a, a a very light touch with the church, and they go into areas where there's not a big singles ministry, they will soon find that they've got more in common with the pagans that they work with and they do with the, with the brothers and sisters that they worship with at church, and uh, unless they know how to connect. And so it's our goal not just to have a big... You guys are going to have to move because that's where all the students sit, right over there, uh, which we'd love for them to just spread out, though. Uh, and we need to connect with them so that they understand that they are a part of the body of Christ. And, and look, that goes true. That same is true for the high school students, the middle school students that we have in here in our church. These guys are our brothers and sisters in Christ, those who have trusted Jesus as their Savior. So as we think about student ministry this year, let's, let's do it from top to bottom, and let's do it with the understanding that it is our responsibility to pass the gospel on, and we've been talking really heavily, focusing on the gospel, and we'll continue this morning for the last two to three years. I mean, the gospel is 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 all of Scripture. As we'll, <laughs> I will say again at a point in the message, it's all of Scripture. Um, and I have no idea where I was going with that, so let's just. Let's just jump into the message. It was good, though. I can. I, it was probably the most brilliant thing I was ever going to say. But it's gone. Well, it'll come back, and I'll say I'll stop right in the middle and say, "Yes, I remember now." Well, years ago in, in the dark ages, back in 1985, in fact, there was a book that was written by a guy named Tim Hansel called "When I Relax, I Feel Guilty." Now, I, I'm not throwing this up there for you to write it down and and run out and check on Amazon. Some of you actually order books on Kindle while I put them up there. And I'm grateful for that. That's not the point. The title is just so apropos. It's timeless. The book, I'm sure, is dated, but the title is timeless. And in fact, many of you think probably, I could have written that book. You could have written the first part anyway, where he talks about the guilt that that we have when we relax. So many of us are so driven. This morning we're going to talk about what it means to rest in Jesus. Incredibly ambitious task, though that may be. You'll notice that we're using the Galatians screen for the slides. The connection between this text and Galatians will soon be apparent, as will the connection with the last series that we did on the 29th chapter is in the 29th chapter of Acts where we try to discover what God's desire and design is for us in the church in the 21st century. And, and that really shouldn't surprise us, though, that there are connections all over the place, because as I just said a while ago, the gospel is all through Scripture, and it all ties together. In fact, the, the message next week from Hebrews 4 is going to tie in with Genesis, where we're heading in just a couple of months. It all <clears throat> is the same story. Uh, since it would take a bit of time to give the specific details surrounding Jesus' word in Matthew 11, where we're going to be this morning, let's just say without any damage to the truth uh, that, that we're going to be seeing that the context for this passage is the gospel. It's all of Scripture. <clears throat> so in just a moment, we're going to read our short text, Matthew 11:27. 27, to thirty, I was actually, it was going to be 28 to 30, but 27 is in there for a little bit of context, and we could have gone back further. But the focus this morning is going to be on what it means to rest in Jesus. If you have been a Christian for any length of time, no doubt you are familiar with these words at some level. And since we often miss the profoundness of, of Scripture when it is familiar to us. Let's take just a moment and quiet our hearts and prepare to understand what God wants us to see this morning. Let's take a deep breath. So if you would just close your eyes for just a moment. May I ask you a personal question? How easy is it for you to rest in Jesus? Right now, before we read our text, would you once again, as we have already done in, in, in our worship through song this morning, just picture yourself at the foot of Jesus' cross. The cross where He accomplished The work that you were incapable of performing. What is it that is troubling your heart? Does it have to do with your inadequacies? Would you simply just lay your burden at the foot of the cross? None of us could ever be good enough, but He loves us anyway. How much? Just look at the cross. That's how much the Father loves you. Could it be that others are troubling you? You're just going to have to lay that down as well. You're never going to be able to change other people. Quit trying. Maybe it's a struggle with a particular sin that gives you such angst. Sin that... Should have been left behind a, a long time ago when you first met Jesus. Again, look at the cross. That's why Jesus died. That's why Paul said in Galatians six fourteen, 14, as, as, as we're going to see very soon, that he refused to boast in anything other than the cross. So whatever your burden, just bring it to Jesus right now. Our text this morning is Matthew eleven twenty seven through 30. Remain seated and let these words of rest cover your spirit and soul. Jesus is speaking and he says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Father, I pray that as these words wash over our hearts and our souls, our minds, that you would help us to see everything we need to see in this text. May we quietly sit at your feet, just as Mary did was commended and may we learn from you and may we leave with peaceful hearts and renewed spirits and a passion for your kingdom Amen Well, I've already said that I'm not going to go into the details about the specific context of Jesus' remarks, but let's at least think about the larger context of of Matthew's gospel. What was Matthew trying to communicate? In this gospel, as you see in the others as well, uh, Jesus was constantly battling the Pharisees about what it means to be rightly related to God. The Pharisees, of course, thought, that one's ability to keep the law would determine whether or not God would allow them into heaven. Jesus, on the other hand, said it's impossible to ever be good enough for a sinful man to please a holy God. No one could ever keep the law perfectly. And, and in fact, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount had already established a standard that was far higher than, than, the, than was written in the law. So you think the law tells you to do this I'm telling you it's even more difficult than that and unless your righteousness it exceeds that of the Pharisees Pharisees, you will not get into heaven and of course nobody could do it better than the Pharisees could so the point was nobody gets in based on one's ability to keep the law hatred is the same as murder in God's eyes we are commanded not only not to kill others but but to love them instead of hating them. Not only are we to refrain from committing adultery, we're to control our minds and our passions as well. But even if we do that extremely well, we will fall short of salvation. In today's text, Jesus went so far as to say that no one can know the Father or anything about Him unless it is revealed to him, and Jesus being the living Word of God revealed the Father to us. And of course, the written Word reveals God and His will to us. Jesus had been present in all the Old Testament writings, but the Jewish leaders had missed it because they were so building their own kingdom that they had no time for God's kingdom. Didn't start out that way. If you want to trace the Pharisees, go back as far as Ezra, a man whose heart was right toward God and he loved the law. It's these Second Temple Jews, these 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 men who had come back from captivity that said, "We've messed up. We want to get it right," and so they they followed God in his in his word all with all their hearts. But eventually, as it so often does. It degenerated into a picture, an image. This is what we want you to see about us. We're good people. We love God, but don't you think we do it very well? Aren't you proud of me? If you'd been alive in that day, you wouldn't have thought that about the Jewish leaders. In fact, if, if if someone had criticized them and said, you know, they're just arrogant and proud, you'd say, My goodness, what are you talking about? These people keep the law like nobody else. How dare you talk about our leaders that way? You you would have defended them. But when Jesus came on the scene, the difference between him and the Jewish leaders was stark and and, and, and it, well it should have been because Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus revealed the hidden motives of the heart before you find too much fault with the Pharisees, realize that most of us are really more concerned about building our own kingdom than we are god 's kingdom no i 'm working for God well that 's been said before. I believe the Pharisees said that in fact now now granted. If you've acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you said, this is my only hope of heaven, that makes all the difference in eternity. But even still, we're tempted to do the same thing. Remember, the Pharisees had started off right. That movement had started off way back there, the way it should go, but it had degenerated. And that happens, it's just constantly happening in our lives. We're, we're turning back to the flesh and to our own needs and our own desires, So we end up spending much of our Christian lives even laboring in our own strength. And if we are honest, laboring for our own glory. And it's not to be had. No wonder we are frustrated, discouraged, and exhausted. And Jesus offers us rest. Jesus' invitation to come to Him is, first of all, a call to salvation. It's a call to put one's trust only in Jesus. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son, the Son chooses to reveal Him. Man, that language is over and over and over. Look. I doubt very many of you would say, I don't agree with the doctrine of predestination. How can you not? I mean, it's all over the New Testament. Maybe you try to understand it a different way, but you have to agree that it's there. The fact is, this kind of language is all over. Now look, Jesus is offering an invitation, and we choose whether to respond or not. But in many ways, the Scripture tells us the choosing has already been done. I think they both exist in Scripture. How it works out, I don't know. All I know is He chooses us and He invites us to choose Him as well. If you have believed that the only way to have eternal life is to trust Jesus' sacrifice on the cross as payment for your sins, you should be encouraged because God has revealed this truth to you. You didn't figure it out. On your own. God has revealed this to you. If you're one of those. <clears throat> who doubts your salvation. Know this. If you are trusting only Jesus. For eternal life. Then it's because God has called you to himself. Don't try to work it out in your mind. Whether you said it just right. Or whether if you prayed the exact way you should have. If you've understood and believed the gospel. It's because the Father has drawn you to the Son, and the Son through the Holy Spirit has revealed the Father to you. I have, I have rarely, rarely encountered anyone who understands the gospel that doesn't believe. When you get the gospel, you believe. It's the work of the, of the Spirit in your life. <clears throat> and those of you who struggle with doubts, and I know that there are a lot of you, and I've, I don't know why I've been led to mention this several times in the last few years particularly this last six months or so <clears throat> but if you struggle with doubts remember it's God doing the work it's not up to you it's him and he's done this he's revealed this truth to you so rest in that relax in that come unto me all you that are labor and are heavy laden burden you're burdened down and I will give you rest There's so much truth, so much comfort, so much rest packed into these words that are before us this morning. The Jews called people to accept the yoke of the Torah, or the Torah, to be correct in the pronunciation, the Hebrew pronunciation, the first five books of the Bible, the law. Accept the yoke of the Torah, and you will find life um, but rather than freeing people, the law enslaved them, as we have learned in Galatians. By the way, we return to Galatians in two weeks. I really wanted to wait until the students got here before we started talking about what it means to walk in the spirit as opposed to the flesh. But these two messages tie right in. And the law, we were told in Galatians, enslaved us. We had no hope of freedom. In the law, it's great at telling us our problem, but it can do nothing to do anything about our problem. Jesus said, come to me. He offered us himself. That's where freedom comes. And he promised rest. So how is your heart with, with regard to your relationship with Jesus? I mean, you're always worrying that you're not good enough for God to accept you. Come to Jesus just as you are. Are you worried that you may not be saved, even though you want more, any, more than anything to be saved through Jesus? Just rest in his call to you. He's called you to himself. Rest in that. Are you secure in your relationship with God through Jesus? Well, then give thanks to him and rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Regardless... Of what great trial has come upon you, regardless of what you're facing. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That's a great thing, isn't it? And recognize that although once you have exercised faith in him, resting in Jesus is a conscious decision that we have to return to time and again. Although it can become something akin to a pattern if we do it consistently and well enough Uh, just recently i I, I i've come to the conclusion my my, i i'm so add adhd whatever adhd ddd ddd and 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 it's just difficult for me to do things you know like i want to be able to do them orderly structured you know we've got the Scott Culberth, Drew Peterson, those guys on our elder board, they're, you know, they're just marching right in line, and I just want to, I, I want to, and I get in line, and then I just you know get distracted. And finally, the Lord is is just impressed upon me. The instant you fall away, repent. Of course we know this to be true. The instant you think about somebody, pray for them. Don't worry about your list. Just do it wind go with your mind i made your mind anyway go with it Consci- we have to consciously come back time and again to rest in jesus but do not confuse rest with inactivity <laughs> when you think about it jesus words are rather paradoxical come to me for rest And put your yoke on, put my yoke on, and get ready to work. If you'll come to me, I'll give you rest. But rest doesn't mean inactivity. While Jesus is offering a life that is free from the burden of the law, that no one can can keep, it's equally true that he is not offering a life free of restraints and expectations. You know what a yoke is? is a yoke's a harness that you know you put on an animal and generally if you want to really get the work done where you're plowing a field or something you put it on two or three or a team of animals two or four team of animals and then you say let's go and let's get to work so what's the difference between the yoke that the pharisees encouraged and the yoke that jesus offered pharisees said Come under the law, and the law is just going to beat you down. They wouldn't say that, but that's ultimately what happened. And they had added so much to the law that it was ridiculous. It was beyond what God had said. And remember, remember what Galatians told us about how Old Testament saints were saved? Abraham did what? And it was counted to him for righteousness. He believed God. He believed it was faith that caused him to be counted righteous before God's belief in God's promises. So the Pharisees, they didn't care about belief. They cared about appearance. How are you looking? How are you looking? How are you doing? Oh, you know, in, in our day we'd say something, oh, your hair's not just right. David Calvert's in big trouble if that's the case, you know. Your hair's not just right. <clears throat> Rick, you're good, man. <laughs> Oh, baby, we're in trouble if it's about checking off all the right things and and not doing the other things. Jesus' yoke is really offering us himself. Uh, really, you can look at this one of two ways. Um, he's just saying, I am that yoke. I'm the one that's going to be. Or he's saying, take, the yoke with me we're in harness we're together it's not that we're not going to be expected to work but when we recognize that Jesus is the one who is offering the power the ability the direction the guidance and he's leading the effort when we're in harness with him then we're going to be active but he's the one doing the work in and through us when we take Jesus' yoke upon us, we make the commitment to learn from him. Now, once again, the, the contrast between what Jesus was encouraging and what the Pharisees encouraged was, was stark. Every time in the New Testament or almost every time when we are called to look to Jesus as an example, it's, there's something about the cross in there. Philippians 2, 1 Peter 2. This mind being you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God didn't think it something to be grasped or to be held on to to be equal with God but made himself a servant took upon himself the form of a servant who made himself of no reputation he became obedient even unto death the death of the cross. The cross we're always being pointed to the cross cross Humility is what God desires in our life. Jesus' call in our text is is not a call to a life of ease. Far from it. You will no doubt if you choose the yoke of Christ, if you accept his yoke on your neck, you will suffer far more than if you chose not to in this life. The rest that we find in Jesus is a rest for the soul. Now, if you had to choose between a life of ease accompanied with a troubled soul or a challenging and often difficult life that you were able to face with a peaceful spirit, which would it be? Easy life, troubled heart and mind. Difficult life, peaceful mind. Which would you choose? What if you had to choose in five minutes... God says, I'll give give you five minutes and you're going to have to check one of these two boxes. I'm going to guess most of you are going to be over here. I doubt many of you are going to do the Dorian Gray thing, you know, and say, I'm going to take the easy life and I'll deal with the consequences later. And even if, you know, look, man, I'd rather have a troubled spirit and be living high life the high life. No, most of us would say, I don't care. I would rather have a peaceful spirit. I would rather have rest in my soul than this turbulence that comes with the troubled spirit. Why would so many of us choose this peaceful spirit and hard life? Because we all know deep down that there's so much more to life than possessions and good times. We want more than ease and pleasure. Furthermore, we know that happiness is fleeting, and even though a peaceful and and contented heart may come and go, it's far to be desired to a life that seeks to hoard and find pleasure in pampering ourselves. I, I think the problem with most of us is we feel like we've, we've accepted Jesus' yoke, yet we are still troubled in spirit. But see, here's the deal. Both can't be true. Because Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I'm meek and gentle in spirit. You will find rest for your souls. There's nothing wrong with Jesus' promise. His promise is that if we receive his yoke... We will be peaceful. Now, I want to tell you, there's not the best Christian who ever lived was troubled in spirit, whoever that was. We we know that the Apostle Paul would have to be up there. And if you recall, a couple of years ago when we were going through Acts, there were two times that he was deeply depressed. Never saw it as clearly as I did when we went methodically through the book of Acts. Deeply depressed, and God came and comforted him. So, if you were discouraged this morning, this is not a rebuke. This is just... Encouragement to refocus your heart and mind and attention on Jesus. Because he brings rest to our souls. What's the deal then? I mean, what is the deal if, if we've trusted Jesus and there's, there's not the rest that it ought to be? It's the gospel cycle working in our lives long after we have initially placed our faith in Jesus. You remember that cycle, don't you? I mean, if you've been here for any length of time, if you've been here for at least a year, you could probably say this in your sleep, creation, fall, redemption, hope of eternal life, promise of restoration, back to things the way they were in the beginning, but better because of our relationship with Jesus. Even after we've been saved, we continue to give in to the old man, to the flesh, and to the Adam in us. And when we do, we must confess our sins and turn to Jesus again. Not for salvation, because that's already been accomplished, but for the kind of cleansing that he offers when we confess our sins, even as believers. And he's doing that redeeming work in our lives, and then we begin to refocus on eternity, and that's what causes us. Our hearts to be at rest. And this cycle goes over and over. We see it over and over in Scripture. And we see it in our lives over and over again. And understanding this cycle as a part of our lives is crucial for living the Christian life. That's going to come, become quite clear as we move into Galatians 5 in a couple of weeks. And think about the battle between the flesh and the Holy Spirit that is constantly raging. For control in us. We'll continue to prepare. For those truths next Sunday. And we'll see these same themes in Hebrews 4. These themes. Are all through. Scripture. So how are we. To live. This challenging life. And yet maintain. This peaceful spirit. In the process. Two words. By faith. Because we can't work up a peaceful spirit. Yoga, meditation, that'll help you temporarily. But the deep down rest in your soul is only going to come from Jesus. And when we believe in Him, and we believe His words, that's where the rest comes. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 tells us that we're to walk in Christ in the same manner that we received Him by faith. Jesus concluded His remarks by saying that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Well, His yoke is easy as long as we don't chafe at its restraints and try to go off course. You know, Jesus is leading us down a path, and we look up, and just like many animals, you know, when they see something that they're afraid of, we used to do the horses at TVR, and sometimes, you know, I was on the lead horse, and, and they'd see something up there, and they wouldn't want to go that way, and and if you, or, or they'd see the barn, they'd want to go to the barn, you know. And if you're going to, you're just going to have to say, no, nope, no, nope, we've got to keep this way. But if we start walking and you say, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. Then there's not going to be rest. There's only one way to rest. And that's to say, okay, Lord, I accept it. And, I, and that means I trust you. Wherever you lead me, and if that means I'm off the scene for a while, I trust you. That's not easy. In fact, our faith comes from God as well. So we're constantly looking to Him. And it's about better believing. That's what it's always about. Now, there's a lot of obedience that's required as well. Again, we're going to see this in the next coming weeks. But it's about believing. And that's why Jesus' gentleness and humility are so important. When his life is lived through us, when we yield to the Holy Spirit, we will be gentle and humble. And the fact is, humility is absolutely required if there's going to be rest in our souls. Think for just a moment about the things that trouble you the things that cause you stress, how many of those issues involve something like what are other people going to think? Or how dare she think that she can treat me that way? Or people will think that I'm a fool if I speak up for Jesus or refuse to participate in such and such an activity. You need rest, don't you? Jesus offers it. You, you may have put on and put off that yoke several times this past week. It's that gospel cycle. But as we grow in Jesus, that yoke should be on us longer and long, for longer and longer periods of time. As backwards as it, as it sounds, though, it, it, it can often tend to be the other way maybe that's because the more we know about Jesus, the, the less we feel like we really need him. Because we're just operating on knowledge and not relationship. No, look, it does not happen unless we are connected with him. We are in harness with him. And he is doing the work in our lives. He's gracious though, isn't he? And he, and he, he reminds us as often as we need it that we are helpless without him. Far better, isn't it? Simply to yield. So, choose this morning to accept his yoke, his harness. Don't fight it, just receive it. Choose to rest. Let's bow for prayer, and as. We pray, I'd like to ask the elders if they would come and prepare for communion. What is it this morning that is keeping you from rest? Would it be doubts about Jesus? No, you're, you're most likely going to say it's, it, it's doubts about yourself. But really, it's, it's doubts about Jesus. He has promised you rest if you will accept his yoke. He has rather high expectations as we're going to be seeing for these next several weeks. And if it's up to us, no wonder we are saddled with such angst. That's the point, though. Jesus will do the work for us, but we have to yield and keep in step with him. So would you right now choose to yield to his yoke? In doing so, you're committing to purity, to service, to sacrifice, but you are accepting his presence. His strength. His peace. Father. We are so grateful that you are patient with us. That you love us. That you are concerned about the hurts and the, and the challenges and the pains of our lives difficulties and so we come to you father with our troubles and we are offered this yoke this yoke of service and sacrifice and even pain but it's one of great peace lord this life this world is passing please loosen our grip and turn our eyes toward you. As we approach your table, we come with grateful hearts and submissive hearts. In Jesus' name. You are my King, Jesus, You are my King. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Mike Bunny will come and give the benediction. Please stand for the benediction, please. I like what Sean, I heard him a couple of weeks ago, and he said uh, the gospel message is simple, but it's not easy. From Hebrews, under the old covenant, the priest stands before the altar day after day, offering sacrifices that can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as one sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down at the place of the highest honor at God's right hand, and there he waits. Now when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Rest in Jesus this week. Amen.